0: Hello, and welcome to Marathon Swim Stories, where we connect with marathon swimmers around the world to find out how they got started, what makes them tick, and why they keep going. It's where we explore the human side of the superhuman feats of endurance swimmers, the connections that we have with each other, our support crew, and the waters we cross. If you've ever stood at the edge of a body of water and wondered what it would be like to swim to the other side, you're in good company. I'm Shannon Keegan, marathon swimmer, water relationship coach, and founder of Intrepid Water, where I virtually teach swimming freedom. Freedom to get started, shed the confines of the pool, or your preconceived notions of what's possible. Find out more at IntrepidWater.com. Believe in yourself, says Jillian Best, the first transplant recipient to swim the 52 kilometers across Lake Ontario. If it's that simple, then why isn't everyone doing it? Well, it's not that easy, is it? Do you believe in yourself? I talk a lot with my clients about trust trusting the process, trusting your plan. If you're not sure if you trust yourself, just add yet onto that statement. Give yourself the opportunity to be surprised. Then sign up for a big crazy goal and just go for it. I hope you enjoy Jillian's story. As my previous guest, John Scott, put it, she's a transplant thriver, not just a survivor. And if you haven't yet, be sure that you're signed up as an organ donor. You never know whose life you might save. Enjoy. Hello, Jillian. Welcome to Marathon Swim Stories. (laughs) Thank you for being my guest today. Tell us, what's your story? It's a pleasure to be here and share my story. I
1: actually really like talking about my life and where it's led me in the water specifically too, because I, I have realized that by sharing my story, I really have had an impact on other people, a positive impact. and it feels really good to have an impact a positive impact on others because I know I come from a place where I've struggled before with many health challenges. And if I can share my story and it has an effect on somebody that helps them get through their hard time, that really just makes me feel complete. It makes me feel full. So thank you for having me here and giving me this opportunity to share a little bit about me and my most recent marathon swim, which was swimming across Lake Ontario this past summer. And what led me to do that, it kind of goes way back. Where should I start?
0: Tell us how you've, how'd you meet the water? When was that?
1: Well, I met the water at a very young age. I started swimming when I was, well, at least four, if not younger. Once I found the water, I was a water baby. I was always in my bathing suit and loved the water, loved the beach, swam on a team until I was about 15 years old. So I have a really I like to think a fairly solid base of swimming. And it was at the time when I was 15, when I actually stopped swimming. And I think back, and I think the main reason I stopped swimming was because there was a lot of changes in my life at that time. And the biggest one was that my mom was really sick and my mom was dying from liver failure and she needed a liver transplant to survive. Wow. So that was a hard time and I was 15 years old. So my social life became important and sports not so much. But, you know, in hindsight, I wish I had stuck with it because I think that would have probably helped me through what was to come. So I I stopped swimming. I kind of went down a a spiral of, of sadness. And it was also at the time when my mom was sick that my family realized exactly what it was that was in our family, a hereditary disease. Fortunately, my mom received a life-saving transplant in 2004. And that was also when I was diagnosed with HHT, which is the hereditary disease that's in my family. Wow. Yes. So from there it was sort of it was a battle with my health. I began to feel sick when I was in my early 20s. All this time I hadn't been swimming, by the way. And kind of moved away from sports in general even though that was something I had done a lot of growing up. So I began feeling sick and I won't put you through all those details, but I ended up having a really close call with death in my late twenties. So I was 29 when I received a life-saving liver transplant. And I like to tell this part of the story because part of what I like to do is advocate for organ donation and this is what led me to where I am now and what I'm doing. And my mom actually required a second liver transplant at the same time that I had mine. Wow! So we had liver transplants two weeks apart. Oh, my goodness. Jillian. <laughs> yeah, it was a really crazy time for me, for my family. I think mostly for my family because they witnessed what was happening and were helpless to do anything about it. But as you can imagine, this has had a crazy impact on me. And it was a turning point in my life where I realized that I wouldn't have been alive had it not been for my transplant. My mom wouldn't be here. So I have this burning desire to give back to the transplant community that saved my life and to inspire others that were in a position or are in a position that I was once in to hopefully make their future or their situation a little bit better.
0: I want to help educate for those of us, maybe who don't know much about organ donation, you know, what you can do live versus you have to die to give, like, give us a little bit of an overview of organ donation.
1: Yes, sure. And good call. It's so familiar to me. Sometimes I forget. Yeah, I had someone ask me recently, what is a transplant? And it caught me by surprise. But then I thought, no, like some people have probably never heard of this. So, organ transplant is kind of a last resort usually for an illness. If you're having failure in some organ, oftentimes it can be fixed or not always cured, but it can be helped by replacing the organ with someone else's. In my case, I had a deceased donor. So, somebody that had passed on who had registered to be an organ donor. You can also be a live donor as well. So for kidney and liver, you can donate a portion of your organ and it will be put to the recipient and it will, the liver will regrow in the recipient and also in the donor within a short period of time. It is really amazing. I received a deceased donor in 2016, a liver, and this really, you know, without it, as I said, I, I would not be here. And I'm very fortunate to have received this liver because many people die while they're on the wait list for a transplant. In fact, I believe in Ontario, it's somebody dies every three days waiting for an organ transplant. So there's a shortage for organs. So this is why we push for people to register to be an organ donor. So it was miraculous that I received one and that my mom received one all within two weeks. And it saved our lives. And when you're waiting for an organ transplant, a lot of uh, your muscles waste away. It's called muscle atrophy. And so during my illness, and shortly after my transplant, I was like 80 to 90 pounds, I was, I had no muscle, I had lost all my strength, I had to learn to walk and stand from a seated position again. So my my rehabilitation was You know, it took a long time. It took a long time for me to gain my strength back. And one of the ways that I did that was I found the water again. I was recovering from my transplant in my hospital bed and a volunteer came in to my room and he handed me a brochure and it was the World Transplant Games. And I had never heard of the World Transplant Games. And what those are, it's like a sporting competition for People that have had transplants, and it takes place every two years in a different part of the world. And the next World Games after my transplant were going to be in Spain in 2017, the following year. So, as I'm laying there in my bed, I'm like, I want to do that. I want to go and I want to swim. And I'm laying there and I'm like picturing myself standing on the podium, strong and healthy. And it was literally that moment that I decided that's the path that I want to go on. I want to get back into the water. I want to start feeling good again. And I took to the water as fast as I did when I was a kid. I remembered, it was like I remembered everything. It just came back like riding a bike. And so two months after my transplant, I got a membership to the YMCA and I started going to the pool and I started out going by myself and I would just get in the water and I'd swim to the other side and look back and think wow I actually swam a length of the pool and slowly but surely over the next few months it started to feel a little bit easier and then I joined a club and this kind of brought me to another level of competing and I kind of dabbled in triathlons for a while but didn't really like the cycling running was okay (laughs) Like, I think I'm just gonna focus on swimming because that's what I really like to do. So Mm
0: -hmm.
1: it wasn't long before I joined a master swim team, which was triathlon club was great. I met some awesome people that inspired me to compete and kind of put myself back out there. But I wanted to practice all strokes, so that was what was so great about the master swim team. So we, I was back doing butterfly and back crawl and breaststroke, like more of a well-rounded swim practice and so here I am training for the transplant games and this is where things kind of took off and I I won the uh, silver medal in the 400 free and the 200 free in Spain and I was hooked and I thought I got to go back in 2019 and, and do this again so the games are every two years actually on the off year the Canadian games take place so I went to those as well it's a smaller event. You're competing against other Canadians from different provinces. I did very well at those games and used that as a stepping stone to get to the 2019 World Games, transplant games in Newcastle. And that's where I won five gold medals and set five world records in my age group. Oh, wow. That's amazing, Jillian. I <laughs> when
0: you were telling me about when you pictured yourself on the podium. I mean, I got goosebumps. And then anyway, that's just, that's a that's awesome. Thank you.
1: And I think it's awesome, too, because I have such a vivid memory of that moment. And then for it to happen, it was just so cool. And I have a picture of me standing on that podium, getting the medal put around my, my neck. And I was crying and <laughs> just yeah. so happy. Yeah. Um, and it the transplant games, you know, I met some really incredible people and some other really awesome transplant athletes. So, you know, we keep in touch and we're friends now. And we went to the games in Newcastle in 2019. I had great success there. And, of course, looking forward to 2021 Houston World Transplant Games. And then the pandemic hit, right? (laughs) Yeah. And then I was like, well, now what are we going to do? Like, we were all so devastated because we were on a roll and we were coming together as a team. So I didn't I didn't want to stop there. I didn't want that to be, you know, I didn't want to wait out the pandemic. I was so determined and feeling, you know, I have my life back and I, I want to just continue to be active. So over the last couple of years before that, in the summer, I had started to do some short open water swims. I was doing some 3K, 5K swims and really, really enjoyed them but there's not really a ton around where I live anything really bigger than a 10k open water swim as far as racing goes. So I started thinking once the 2021 games were canceled, I started thinking about something else that I could do to keep swimming and also continue to raise awareness for organ donation. And I was inspired by some books that I was reading. And I thought, you know, these people have done some really incredible things. I read about Ross Edgley, who swam around Great Britain, and I—I mm-hmm. I I read, read that Diana. Book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's so cool. And I read uh, Diana Nyad's book, which I thought was, with all the controversy, whatever. I still found it really, really inspiring that somebody persevered over such a long period of time to do that swim from Cuba to Florida. So I thought, you know. I said to my friend, Gray, who I met at the Transplant Games, these books are making me want to swim across a lake. And that's when we started throwing around the idea of crossing Lake Ontario. And that's when the the dream was born. So I began training.
0: (laughs) This was last year, you said 2021. 2020
1: was when I decided to do it, late April into May. And then I trained all of that year and all of 2021 until August when I did the swim.
0: How did you know what to do? How did you know how to train? <laughs> did you read more books or what?
1: <laughs> uh, I didn't actually fully know what I was getting into, you know, until I was kind of in it in the middle of it. And I was like, yeah, I really did bite off a big goal here. But I had such great support around me. And I had, you know, a lot of people that really believed in me. And that really kept me going. And I emphasize that a lot. Like, I realized how powerful we are when we work together, and I think we are powerful alone. But I think some really amazing things can happen when you surround yourself with good people, and and those people believe in in what you're doing and, and believe in your cause. And that's exactly what happened. So I, I started reading a lot, and because I had started my training in uh, spring here in Canada, the lakes are still really cold. They don't warm up until June sometimes even July, sometimes August is the warmest the lakes ever get. And then they then they start to get cold again. So I did a lot of reading about cold water swimming and what it takes to adapt to that. So I spent a lot of time doing cold dips. And then I eventually brought myself to doing 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and then I was swimming for an hour in cold water, knowing that Lake Ontario would hopefully not be that cold when I crossed it, but I wanted to be so prepared. I wanted to be so prepared for anything and not just prepared to swim in cold water, but I didn't want my training to be easy because I knew swimming the lake wasn't going to be easy. So I was ready for challenges. I was ready to swim in cold water. I was ready to swim in all these different conditions that the lake might have Provided that day, I didn't know what the lake was going to do, so I wanted to be sure that I had trained in all of it so that I was prepared. And I I learned about this from reading on forums, talking to other marathon swimmers, listening to podcasts of other swimmers that have done Lake Ontario and also just done other ocean swims and lake swims. I have to give John Scott a shout out here because he was my swim master for. The crossing of Lake Ontario. And he was such an incredible help. He helped me prepare mentally for that swim. And that was probably more than half of the preparations needed to pull that off. Believing in myself and visualizing what it was going to look like, visualizing the success, visualizing myself overcoming the obstacles. And building my confidence, he really helped me with all of that. And so I'm forever grateful for John and what he's done to help me prepare for that swim.
0: The swim, the swim. Yeah, tell us, take (laughs) us there, take us there. So did you have like a window or did you just have a day? And what kind of time were you estimating to set aside? Remind us how long it is.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So based on my trial swim, which they require a 16-kilometer trial swim. I finished that in five hours and nine minutes. And so John was there on, on my trial swim and he said, yeah, I think you'll probably swim the lake somewhere between 17 hours and 19 hours. So we knew what kind of window we needed. Usually they give a 24-hour window. So my first choice was August 3rd to 4th. And I wanted to start at night because I wanted to finish in the daylight. Yeah. (laughs) And if that window was no good, I think it was going to be the fourth to the fifth, if I can remember correctly. But magic happened. And we left at exactly, well, 1101 PM on August the 3rd. And the conditions couldn't have been better. The water was 70 Fahrenheit. Wow. You know, there was a little bit of chop and some waves at the beginning of the swim, breaking through that, um, the current that the Niagara River kind of provides that kind of opens up into Lake Ontario. And it was dark. I swam in the dark for seven hours beside a Zodiac boat until the sun started to come up. I actually really liked swimming in the dark. It was kind of, I don't know how to describe it.
0: Had you trained in the dark at all?
1: I did a little bit of of night training looking back not as much as maybe I should have however it worked out just fine mm-hmm, i think yeah. if it was really wavy at night i would have regret not doing any night training in the mm-hmm. waves
0: mm-hmm.
1: i found it tricky to find people to come with me in the dark yeah right <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> so there was minimal night swimming training but enough to know what it felt like and enough to know that you know you can't see anything in front of you all I could see was the lights on the boat when I would turn to breathe. And the moon was behind the boat, so I didn't even really see that. And then the sun came up, and I was able to have a pacer in the water with me. I had a really great mindset going into the swim. I felt like before I took my first stroke, I just stood there, and I, I said to myself, just take this in, and whatever comes is is going to come, and you're gonna, you're going to find a way to overcome it. And I kept that mindset throughout the whole swim. And as I said, I was fortunate. I didn't have too many obstacles along the way. I had a few, which I'll tell you about. (laughs) So the sun came up and I had a pacer hop in the water with me. And the first one that joined me, her name was Vanessa. And Vanessa is like the biggest cheerleader. She matched my strokes so well. She always had a smile on our face. We would trade smiles while we would like turn to breathe at the same time. And the water during the day on the 4th of August was flat. And I wish I could show you a picture of it right now. It was like I was in a swimming pool. I'm sure it made many people that have crossed Lake Ontario really jealous.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Some people don't like it when it's flat like that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I've heard that too. But you know, when you're swimming for that long and that far, I was okay with (laughs) with the (laughs) conditions. I took a feed every 40 minutes. My food went down really well. I probably won't do tomato soup ever again.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Had you trained a lot with your feeds and things? going? I did,
1: actually. Most of what I ate on the swim I had practiced with, but not the soup. And I Mm. don't know why I thought that You know, oh, it's just, it'll be fine. You know, it's just soup. Like what could go go so wrong? But I think because it was acidic.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine. Yeah. And I think that
1: contributed to the sore throat that I ended up having.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Towards the end of the swim, I like couldn't talk. It was really strange. People were like, how are you feeling? I'm like, my throat hurts. (laughs) (laughs) Like the most unlikely thing. So here I am swimming along. And um, I, I don't want to say it was uneventful because it definitely wasn't. It was really a beautiful day. I had two other pacers join me. We had very minimal issues with the boats. Somebody on on the lead boat had to fix one of the Zodiacs. That happened without me really even knowing. And then we hit a current about 10 kilometers from shore And this current was pushing me backwards and I had been swimming about 15 hours at this point. So I was starting to get really tired and also being far from shore. There was no real point of reference. I could see the sea and tower. I could see the skyline actually all day. I could see it, but I reached a point where I noticed that it wasn't getting any closer. And that was the only hint that I really had that it wasn't really moving. (laughs) And my team was great. They didn't tell me that I was stuck. They didn't want to give me any idea that I wasn't going anywhere because I think they didn't want to discourage me. And my swim master, John, who had been on so many swims, I think he had enough experience and knowledge to know that encouraging me to keep going was the best thing and not to put any feelings of doubt in my mind that I might not make it. Because there were talks about heading to a shorter exit Mm. that I didn't know about. They said, well, if she doesn't get through this current, we can finish the swim over here. And I'm so glad that my team believed in me and let me finish the swim the way I had intended.
0: Yeah. So when you're in this, you kind of realize, you don't know about these talks going on, but you kind of realize you're not really getting any closer what's going on in your mind.
1: Well, I did pop my head up at one point and I said, I'm not, I feel like I'm not moving. And they're like, yeah, you are, you are, you're still moving forward. Keep going. But in my head, I'm thinking, okay, like surely I've got to be close. At one point, somebody said, you've got 9K left. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, I've done 9K swims. I've done 10K swims. I can do this. I've got this in me. I've done it before. So I just put my head down and I kept going. And what I learned afterwards from my husband, who was on the swim, he was one of the Zodiac drivers. And this is kind of what put this whole thing in perspective for me was, he said to me in that moment when you were kind of stuck, he said, this really felt like the time when we were waiting for you to have a liver transplant. Mm -hmm. You were stuck and you were struggling and you didn't really know how bad it was, but we were all just there watching you without really the ability to do anything to help. We just kind of sat there and cheered you on. And looking back, this parallel to my transplant and my swim is uncanny. It really shows the similarities of the struggle and the support that sometimes we need to get through something and the things that we learn afterwards about persevering through a hard time. I was so grateful to have my team there. They were cheering me on. Eventually, I got through this current. I just really had to keep going. And when I would stop to take a feed, instead of treading water, I would turn on my back and kick so that I wasn't staying still. I literally couldn't stop dead in the water or I was getting pushed behind the boat. Mm -hmm. So I finished the swim in 18 hours and 36 minutes. And there was a crowd of people at the wall so this swim it wasn't like a shore where you finish you walk up onto the sand you actually have to touch this wall mm-hmm. and a lot of my family and friends at the finish they were like that's not right you should <laughs> I can't believe you had to climb out a ladder after swimming all that long all that far <laughs> it's hard to walk
0: up a shore too so <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> And surprisingly, getting up the ladder wasn't really an issue. I had somebody there to just make sure I didn't fall off the ladder. But I was just completely overwhelmed with emotion, overwhelmed with where I had come from. At that time, it was just five and a half years ago. I was on my deathbed. And here here I was finishing a swim, a 51.5 kilometer swim across Lake Ontario, and I was the first transplant recipient to have ever done it. So wow. it was quite a a feat. And it was the days after I, you know, I've been pretty open with my journey and my swim and sharing it on social media and the messages that I've received from not just transplant recipients from all around the world, but just people in general that have faced challenges. It really warmed my heart to hear what people had to say that I've provided them hope and shown them what maybe they're capable of doing and what is possible. And, and that's sort of one of the things that I've been really happy to, to share with people is like having a dream, having a big dream and following it and not being afraid to follow your big dreams. Since then, I've it's definitely boosted my confidence and it's got me thinking about so many other things that I want to accomplish, including other marathon swims.
0: Is that right? You think Yes. <laughs> Did you swim over the winter? Did you take a break?
1: Um, I didn't really take a break. No, I took about a week out of the water and then I got back in. It's so hard for me not to swim in the summer because we have such awesome places to swim where I live. There's this awesome outdoor 50 meter pool that I love to swim at and I'm in a great spot I'm in London Ontario and if you look at it on a map there's Lake Erie Lake Ontario Lake Huron they're all within well an hour and a half or so mm-hmm. Lake Erie's the closest to me so I did a lot of my training there and to be honest I didn't swim a ton in the lakes through the winter it was a little bit of a break from the cold water swimming but I got back with my master swim team and I've been training for some swim meets. So I like pool training too. I like to swim fast as well as open water swimming. So I'll probably switch gears in the spring and, and uh, start training for my next, my next open water. Yes.
0: Swim. <laughs> <The> next <one. laughs> like, you don't have to tell us. Um, how <laughs> did you choose Lake Ontario? If you're so close to Lake Erie and Lake Huron and Lake, and Lake Ontario, how did you pick Lake Ontario?
1: That's a great question. I believe I picked Lake Ontario because it was a bigger challenge, first of all. And I had read more about Lake Ontario swims than any other crossings. Mm -hmm. So there was more information about training to swim across Lake Ontario. And I figured Lake Erie, to be honest, Lake Erie is one that I intend to cross this summer. And it was in my plan last year to cross Lake Erie as my trial but with the pandemic and the, all the stuff that was happening at that time, it was really hard to plan it with having people out of different households on the boat, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, that didn't end up happening. But this summer, I'd like to do Lake Erie. That lake feels more like my home because it's closer to my house and I grew up going to that beach. So, okay.
0: How long is that swim?
1: It can be anywhere from, I think, 52k at the widest, which I'm not going to do this summer. I'd like to do a shorter crossing, I think somewhere between 20 and 25k. So you just have to go like cross towards the more narrow end of the lake.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. That's awesome. I've lived in upstate New York for a while, and I guess it would be Lake Superior, I think. I swam a little bit there. But I, I, at one point, I was investigating all the Great Lakes. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> and finding out a little take? about the history, but I was less than a year in that vicinity near one of those Great Lakes. But it's such a remarkable feature. I don't know. Like, so there the like oceans in the middle of the land. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah.
1: yeah, literally. If you check out, I have a YouTube video. It's a mini documentary of my swim. And mm. our videographer that came along on the swim, he brought a drone. He got way up high and you could see, we looked like little ants on the lake. Yeah. And you couldn't see either any side of the lake. Amazing.
0: Yeah, definitely send me a link.
1: Yeah, it just shows you how big the lake really is and the perspective. It's really cool. And Lake Superior and, and Michigan, I don't know much about those lakes, but it's in my mind to cross them one day. I'm not putting any strict timeline on myself, but if I could say one day that I've swam across all the Great Lakes, I think that would be pretty sweet.
0: Pretty sweet. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. First transplant survivor to swim all the lakes. (laughs) Yeah, I think that sounds good. It sounds awesome. <laughs> do you have any other? I guess since the transplant, do you have to take like medication so you're not rejecting the transplant. All that kind of stuff. Do you have side effects or anything that like gets in the way of training? Or
1: uh, yeah, so I do take meds every day. I, I have to take immunosuppressants. These immunosuppressants, because my liver now is from another person, it's technically a foreign body. So if If I didn't take these medications to suppress my immunity, my body would reject the organ and I would have, again, I would have liver failure. So it is important that I take these meds every day. I'm pretty fortunate. I don't think I have side effects from the meds. And I know I'm fortunate because I don't think that's the case for every transplant recipient. I think I'm just on like the perfect dose where it suppresses my immunity just enough that I'm healthy, but not so much that I'm sick all the time. Because I actually haven't been sick pretty much since my transplant. I did get COVID in January, but...
0: That's kind of unavoidable, apparently. It was, it, like, yeah. I've been fortunate knock on something, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it, it's, yeah, it happens.
1: <laughs> it happens. And it was sort of, sort of out of my control. I was being, I've been safe this whole pandemic, but... Luckily, I got through that too, and it didn't knock me down too hard. So I'm back up and swimming and being my active self again. So the swim was really the beginning of another chapter for myself and a foundation that I've created with my friends. Along with swimming across the lake, we decided You know, we wanted to raise awareness because I'm a transplant recipient and this is something that not many recipients do. And we want to show people what's possible. And so we decided to create a foundation and we called it the Move for Life Foundation. And the meaning behind that really is we want to encourage people to not just transplant recipients, but just people in general to live a healthy and active lifestyle because. As you know, you're a healthier person and you're we're better off healthy and active and better to fight off things that come our way and and I think it makes us more resilient and it's a good practice and discipline and all sorts of things. So move for life foundation. What our, our mission really is, is to reduce the wait time for an organ transplant because that, as I said earlier, is when people die waiting because they don't receive one in time. So our plan is to do an event every year. Last year was my swim. This year, we're doing a relay, a 1600 kilometer relay around the province of Ontario. And the reason 1600 is because that's the number of people in our province that are currently waiting for an organ transplant.
0: Oh, wow.
1: Yes. So we want to shine a light on that and try to end the wait list if we can. And we're doing that by starting at the very hospital that did my transplant and my mom's transplant from my swim last summer, we raised $180,000 and we donated, we donated it to the transplant program at the hospital. It's called London health sciences center. And they've been able to purchase this new piece of equipment that's being used for organ preservation. And what that means is this machine will I'm going to say this, not in a very technical (laughs) medical way, but this machine essentially hooks up to organs that are going to be harvested from somebody who's donating them and it keeps them warm and oxygenated. Otherwise, sometimes these organs are wasted because, you know, once the person passes away, the organ starts to die and sometimes those organs can be used and sometimes they can't. But what this machine is gonna do is it's going to increase the pool of organs that can be used for transplant, thus saving more lives. So this hospital in London is the first in Canada to have this piece of equipment. And so they're starting a project, an initiative to show what this machine can do. And then hopefully from there, this machine will be put into other hospitals and it will become a common practice for organ transplantation across the country. I can't tell you how good it feels to be part of the start of this. So our event this year, we want to re- raise the remaining funds of our $250,000 goal that we have set to raise for the program. So we're hopeful that we'll be able to raise the remaining money this summer and make another donation to the transplant program.
0: Very cool. Yeah. And you'll send me a link. Yeah. To- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> of can- course. Support you. Um, well, I'm curious, do donors have to be matched in any way for like liver? Yeah. And yeah. kidneys. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. And that's part of the challenge of the wait list. You know, we all each have our blood types. For example, I'm an O blood type. My mom is AB negative. AB negative is, I believe, the most rare blood type. So when you receive an organ, your organ must be compatible by blood type. It also needs to be the right size. So like a huge man's liver wouldn't have worked for me. Neither would a child. Like it needs to be the right size. I think it can be a little bit flexible because I know when my mom had her first transplant, because her blood type was so rare, she was actually taken off of the wait list because she was too sick to receive a, a oh, transplant. Goodness. Yeah, this was awful. They actually told us she wasn't going to survive. And then it was like the next day, they said, Oh, your mom is back on the treadmill. And she seems to be doing fine. And she pulled through and it was three weeks later, she was given a transplant that saved her life. Mind you, this liver that came available for her was too big, but it was her blood type. And they figured that By the time another organ came available that was her blood type, she would not have made it.
0: Right. So
1: that is why she ended up needing a second transplant like 13, it was 13 years later when I had mine too. Mm -hmm. There was complications from the liver just not being the right fit. So it uh, definitely bought her time. And it's different for other organs. However, the blood type always needs to be matched. The size, I believe, always needs to be considered as well. But like I said, that's part of the challenge in in the wait list because, because there's already so few organs, but then one comes available and it might not match anybody who's at the top of the list. So it's a pretty complex situation. Something else that we've been trying to push for myself and other organ donation advocates is to change our system to opt out. So right now, to register as an organ donor, you have to register, you have to take a step to say, hey, I want to donate my organs to either science research or for transplantation when I pass away. There are provinces and, and countries, I believe Spain, where you're automatically an organ donor unless you say otherwise. And so to me, I think this seems like a really smart kind of a no brainer. Like, why aren't we doing that? Because They've done many surveys where, for example, in Ontario, ninety percent of people support organ donation, but only thirty-five percent of the population are registered. So there's something missing there. People are either I don't know, lazy to register, or uh, just not. They're like, oh, I'll do it later. But that's how things happen. You know, people pass away sometimes when they're young and by surprise, and If you're not registered as an organ donor, your organs might not save a life or eight lives as, you
0: know, yeah,
1: yeah, Register to be an organ donor.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) I like the idea of it being an opt out versus the opting in. It makes sense to me.
1: It does. But government is tricky, you know? Yeah, it really (laughs) is.
0: Yeah. Yes, exactly. How's your mom doing?
1: My mom is doing really well. Her health. Is great. She loves to paddleboard. My mom did a lot of training with me in the summer. She was a really big help. Her and our other friend, his name is Jim. Jim is an amazing paddleboarder. He is 80 years old and he actually is afraid of the water, but he will get on his paddleboard and he'll go out in the middle of the lake with me with a cooler strap to it. And he'll hand me my feeds. (laughs) So we had some really special swims and paddles in the summer. My mom was so happy to be part of my training. She did break her wrist a few weeks ago. So she's a little down about (laughs) that right now. But I'm, I'm hopeful that it'll heal before she's back paddling. So it'll be better before the summer.
0: Yeah. I was thinking, did you have any moment while you were swimming? You mentioned, you know, that your husband made that correlation. Did you have a moment while you were swimming where you were like, oh, this is nothing. I'm just swimming. You know, I've sat on my deathbed. (laughs) Did you
1: have moments like that during the swim? I never thought that it was easy, but I definitely remember thinking I have been through some harder times and something that I reminded myself of was... That I had struggled for years not feeling good I was in pain for years and the one thing I kept repeating to myself was this is just one day this is just one day of swimming and it might hurt a little bit, it actually hurt quite a, a lot towards the end yeah. but um, I can get through this I can get through one day, I've endured much worse for much longer and that was something that I kept telling myself. And I thought back a lot to the training. And some of my training swims were almost harder than swimming across the lake. I think my last long training swim before swimming across Lake Ontario was I want to say it was almost harder than swimming across Lake Ontario. It was a nine hour swim. It was funny how to, my time seemed so consistent. It was. 25 and a half kilometers in nine hours. (laughs) And um, I was in a lot of pain at the end. And I thought if this is how it's going to feel swimming across Lake Ontario, like I was a little bit scared at the end of that swim. That being said, my training was so intense. I didn't really take time off. I maybe took a day off here and there, but I don't think I ever took two days off in a row in my training. So my body was tired. Like every time that I got in the water, my lats were sore. My shoulders were sore. My back was sore. My neck was sore. Everything was hurting all the time through my training. I think I was on the verge of overtraining. And that last long training swim that I did, like if I had supposed to do another swim the next day too. Right. And I didn't. (laughs) Yeah. I thought I know my body well enough that I need to not swim for a few days. And so that's what I did. I actually took like, I think I took four or five days off after my long training swim, the last one. And then by the time I went in to start my swim, I was so rested and recovered. And I actually didn't start feeling fatigued or sore until like seven hours into that swim. And my training swims... I would be feeling it after like 10 kilometers, so, or three hours. So, yeah, it was quite a um, crazy year of training, learning, lessons, all new experiences, the the cold swims, the long swims, swimming in waves, swimming when I didn't want to.
0: It's tricky to find that balance to not get to the overtraining, because you want to train tired, right? And you want to train. It's such a tricky thing. But there's also this element too, that I talk about with my clients of like needing to you need to build the confidence, you need to get through that, you know, that rough training swim. But then it's really good that you knew your body and you knew you needed to take some time off after that because you can't, I, I guess you can sustain it. And it's amazing what you can keep doing. But I guess I don't know that it's, Required. <laughs> That's, yes, It's finding like, that. But trying to find that. Yeah, exactly. Right. That, that perfect spot right sweet spot
1: where you're pushing yourself, and it hurts a little bit, but not so much that you can't get back in the water the next day or do your marathon swim. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah you want to go in there feeling good, but and confident. And it is a tricky thing. So to recap, the longest swim you'd done before you did the 52 kilometers across Lake Ontario was 10K? I mean you'd done your training swims, but let's say the longest like kind of you know like a official-ish swim you'd signed up for.
1: Yeah. So before I decided to do the lake, the longest swim I had done was 10K.
0: Thought you'd quintuple it?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's just five more times, and I and I told myself that too. Like, oh, it's just doing a, a marathon five times in a row. Like, I can do that. It's, and and that's where that mental training came in, where it was just like wrapping my mind around how long I was going to be spending in the water. I think breaking it down into chunks was really helpful for me, and not just across Lake Ontario, but even in my nine hour training swim. I went into it thinking I'm just gonna do three hours, three times. And I never once looked at it like I'm swimming nine hours. And I did the same thing crossing Lake Ontario. It was just one day. It yeah. wasn't 52 kilometers. Yeah. It yes. was one day of swimming.
0: <laughs> yeah. Anything you could do to get that perspective, I think, is really important is to find a way to, to you know take yourself out of like that moment and be like, oh like, what else do I have to do today? Oh, I don't That's have anything to do today. I set this whole day aside to swim. So that was it, it too.
1: Yes. I have nowhere else to be. Everyone's expecting me to be swimming for the next day and a half or whatever. Going to be <laughs> committed to this for the next long period of time. So just stick it out and stay as present as possible and not to get too lost in in the thoughts that come up and those doubts that creep in. That was a big learning that I, I took away from my training and applied it to the swim was like, it's normal for you to doubt yourself and to start thinking, oh, like something's hurting. And then you start thinking about it more and dwelling on it. And then it becomes bigger and it gets worse. So I really practiced, you know, when a thought would come up like, oh, I don't want to do this or oh, I'm cold or, oh, I'm starting to get really sore. My lats are hurting. I would have to like think about something else to take my mind off of it, focus on a positive thought, and just sort of reroute myself to swimming in a more positive mindset, something that would keep me going forward instead of like not wanting to be there.
0: Yeah, yeah, very much so. Did you spend any time doing that when you were really sick, like kind of in that, like needing to find that positive place and like kind of holding yourself there? I did. I don't mean to keep trying to correlate. You know, like,
1: <laughs> no, I get it. I get it, and I get asked that a lot. I, I, I've been asked, you know, did your illness and the struggle you had help you get across the lake? And I do think it. I do think that there is some things there that helped. I wasn't as good then about identifying the thoughts that come up and realizing that the thoughts weren't the truth. I think. I believed in my thoughts uh, always, but I was always into meditation. And my mom is a; um, she's a yoga teacher, and she does a lot of meditative practice. And so I was very fortunate to have my mom. Not only had gone through the transplant, but she was there to support me and mine. She knew what I was going through, so I like I say this a lot, but it was oddly comforting that she was. There for me and had experience to help me through it. I did some meditation through, through my illness and I I read positive mantras, things that would just help keep my mind distracted from the pain I was feeling. But it wasn't until I was a little bit older and had experienced a little bit more, read a little bit more, started talking with John about mindfulness and and also just my own research on how our minds really work where I, I really started to believe that, you know, my thoughts aren't always true. They are just that. And I noticed them coming up while I was swimming. And that was a great opportunity for me to practice just sort of filtering my thoughts and choosing what ones I wanted to believe and what ones I didn't want to believe. And I wanted to believe in myself because I knew that that was going to help me get across the lake. And I, I think that's like one of the, biggest pieces of advice that I can give to anyone who's setting out to do a marathon swim is to believe in yourself.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely, absolutely. You've got to believe in yourself and trust. Yeah. Whatever you did to get to that moment is that like, yeah, it was exactly what you needed to do. And then you yeah. just believe in yourself and start. Yeah. Well
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And one of the ways I did that was, all the little victories along along the way through the training, I kept a journal. I wrote down all of my swims, the temperature, how long I was in the water, how it felt, uh, whether it was good or bad, but I had that to look back on. And I often did look through it and say like, oh yeah, I did that 10K swim. And then I did another one the next day. I can do this. Like, uh, I, I have the strength and I have the power to do this. And going back and kind of revisiting all the little victories along the way really did help to build my confidence. And that's something that I would suggest to anybody, whether you're doing a marathon swim or not. Like, I think recording your victories and not to diminish them, you know, no matter how big or small they are, because they really do add up and they can help you build your confidence into believing in yourself that you're capable of more than you. Probably
0: believe. Then you give yourself credit for for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You're reminding me. I have a reminder that comes up on my phone to write my wins. Oh (laughs) too many times that I'm like, uh, not right now. Not right now. (laughs) 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 Or like, I'll be like, uh, but it's it is so important. And it really I mean it really you know John wrote the book the magical moments book and we yes. um, it, and I have I I'm like I I'm get it for everyone in my family you know yes. not that I don't need it too but it's <laughs> and it the what you said about no matter how big or small it's it's important to like I woke up today <laughs> woke up yeah and I had some yeah. breakfast <laughs> yes i woke but, up like, breathing yeah
1: yeah i i remember um laying in my bed in the hospital and there was a cystic fibrosis patient next to me and I could hear her struggling to breathe and telling the nurse that she was struggling to breathe and that day I realized how grateful I was that I could breathe and I was laying there feeling like crap myself but that's when my eyes opened up to you know could be worse it could be that like not to take that for granted because it comes so naturally to us right it's so automatic but for some people it's not and it's just something as simple as being able to to breathe when you wake up you can see you can eat without you know any digestive issues whatever it is like all those things are our wins and we should take note
0: of that yeah like you said, it's nice to look back, to be able to look back and remind yourself when you're kind of at a low point, like, oh, wait a sec, that's right. I mean, because they won't all be, <laughs> I was breathing, <laughs> I woke up and I was breathing today, you know, you'll have the days that it's like, I did 10K, oh, and I did that the day before too. Yeah. I do, I'm a yeah big believer in journaling, even though sometimes I feel like I don't know what to write, but it's like, you know, just write something and then you never something. know. Sometimes it starts flowing, you're like, it, oh, yeah. wow, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know I had that in there. <laughs> lovely thank you so much for sharing your story with us jillian i really yeah I really it's love been it a
1: pleasure yeah thank you for having me on and listening to my story and what i had to say i appreciate it
0: i hope you enjoyed jillian's story it's amazing to me what we humans can accomplish when we put our minds to it what are you going to put your mind to this year this month this week why wait Put your mind to something and don't stop until you achieve your goal. I say while I put my mind to so many things that I forget to do what's right in front of me. I completely forgot to welcome you to season three of Marathon Swim Stories. I'm excited to continue the journey. It has taken me to places that I never thought to go. I get to take the inspiration with me on every swim and share the nuggets of wisdom with my clients. I'm so glad you're here. Time is precious, and I'm honored that you're choosing to spend your time listening to the awe-inspiring stories of endurance swimmers. If you have a story to share, don't hesitate to reach out, shannon at intrepidwater.com. And if you're inspired, please share this episode with someone you know. And don't forget to register as an organ donor. Thank you for listening.